One of the most famous lines ever in movie history is a line that uh, was in the 1994 film, The Usual Suspects. And uh, the baddie in the film, who was called Kaiser Soze, I think, he said the following. Here's the line. He said, the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. It's quite a good quote. I quite like the quote. I want to amend the quote, though, because is this not true? The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are without power. The greatest trick the devil ever played is convincing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are powerless. Maybe you see what I mean. We today, even London City Presbyterian Church, but the church in the West in the 21st century, we're suffering from an inferiority complex of sorts. We look around, what do we see? With just a few believers in here tonight. In this massive, ungodly city. And what do we honestly think? We think perhaps, well, what good can we really do in London? What impact can we have as a congregation in a city like this? Or we look at the relationships that we have with unbelievers in our lives. And truth be told, how do we feel about a lot of those relationships? Don't we feel kind of inept as Christians a lot of the time? We kind of feel ineffectual. And we throw up our hands in despair and we think we are powerless, we are weak. And the question that I want us to ask tonight, is that really true? Is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ really powerless? Are we without power? Well, tonight what we're going to do, we're going to take this uh, wonderful portion of scripture in 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to lift it up where Elijah's translated up to heaven. We're going to take it and we are going to compare... 2 Kings chapter 2 with another miraculous event. Okay, so we're going to compare Elijah's translation to glory with the later miracle, the later ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ to heaven. We're going to compare and contrast those two miraculous events. And as we do so, do you know what I think will happen tonight? We're going to see our strength. We're going to see the immeasurable, earth-shaking, breathtaking power that is at the disposal of London City Presbyterian Church. The power that we have as Christians at our fingertips. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to this evening from this portion of Scripture, Second Kings 2, is the rehearsing of Israel's history. So that's our first heading, the rehearsing of Israel's history. Uh, Yeah, I think that for years, truth be told, I had 2 Kings 2 all wrong in my head. I was taught this as a, a kid. I was taught 2 Kings 2, the story of Elijah going up to heaven as a wee nipper at Sunday school. And I remember 
potentially even learning at family worship. And since then, I obviously didn't hear it correctly. And, and since then, I think subsequently I've had it wrong in my head. See, I thought this is what happened. I thought Elijah and Elisha were walking along, da, 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 walking along together. But then all of a sudden, and here's the thing, I thought surprisingly, like unexpectedly, Elijah's whisked up uh, in heaven. And I wonder if you noticed, it's not like that at all. So you look at verse 1. Have a look there. Verse 1, what does it say? It says, Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven. Do you see what that is? That's a spoiler. Isn't it in verse 1? It's like spoiler alert. That it gives the game away. In fact, I wonder if you notice this in this section of scripture. Everyone seems to know in advance that Elijah's going to be taken up to glory. Did you notice? Like the sons of the prophets, they know about this. Elijah knows this is going to happen. I think that's marvelous. Elisha clearly knows that something special is about they all. I think that's marvelous. They all seem to know in advance that Elijah is going to be taken up to heaven. So they know what's going to happen. But how does it happen? Well, allow me to say this. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think there's probably a couple of details that everyone in here, from young to not so young, a couple of details that we all probably noticed when Gabriel read out this section of Scripture, right? You tell me later if you didn't notice this or if I'm wrong, but I reckon there's two things you noticed. One... You probably noticed how incredibly stubborn Elisha is in this section of scripture. Have a look at verse 2. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's out of humility. Um, maybe, I think it's a test, actually. Elijah says to Elisha, don't come with me. Doesn't he? Like they all know there's something marvellous and time and time again Elijah's keeping saying the same thing. Elisha, he's like, right, okay, you stay here. I'm going to go on. You're not going to witness this. You stay here. And, what? and how does Elisha respond to it? I love it. He's, he's like a dog with his master, isn't he? He's like, he's, he's at his heel and he's going nowhere. In fact, he's kind of like another episode in scripture. Isn't it like Ruth with Naomi? Don't you think that, that here is Elisha and he will not, he loves Elijah and he's not going to leave. And he's so stubborn time and time again. No, not going anywhere. I'm sticking with you. You noticed that, didn't you? Here is, I think, the more important thing that I'm pretty sure everyone noticed. Hope you noticed it. Did you notice the geographical precision of the text? Because these men go on this really elaborate journey together. I mean, there's miles and miles of traveling together. But it's not just that we are told they travel together. Look at this one, verse 2. Like the names of every town and every village are told to you. Like it's it's not they they travel together. Do you see it? They started in Gilgal. This is all important. Now you think it through. They start in Gilgal. They go to Bethel. They go to Jericho and Swan. Right? Do you see how precise it all is? Every town, it's all exact. Do you see what's going on? I wonder if you see what's going on. What what are they doing? They are retracing 
the journey of the people of God. Think of it. Jericho to Bethel to Gilgal. They are actually, these two men, retracing the exact journey that Israel made when Israel came into the promised land. They're following it, retracing that journey. I wonder if people got that. Did you get it? I wonder in the reading, if you didn't get it, I bet you this, there is a detail that that you did recognize, because look at verse 8. Come on, look at verse 8. And we all know what this is. Come on, we know what's been rehearsed here. Look, they get to the River Jordan. What does Elijah do? Come on, he strikes the water, he parts the water, they cross over in dry land. What's that? What is it? Isn't it a rehearsing of Moses? Right, isn't it? And it's a rehearsing of the, the Exodus. You see the, the point. Friends, to underline the importance of this moment in Second Kings 2, these two men rehearse the history of the people of God. The history is rehearsed. The history of Israel. Now, I said earlier on that I learnt this as a little nipper, as a little kid. Um, I'm pretty sure that a lot of you also uh, learnt this story when you were younger. Did you? Maybe you were at Sunday school, perhaps if you were brought up in the church or you've heard it from your parents. Have you? The story of Elijah. If that is true for you, I'd love to know whether you've ever asked this question of the text here. Why does Elijah not die? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's very unusual from, from in Scripture for, for this to happen to anyone, isn't it? To be translated up into heaven. It's really odd. Like, why does, why does he not die? Why does he not pass? Why is it? That God takes Elijah of all people up in a chariot of fire to glory. Have you ever asked that? Can I tell you what I think? I think this miracle exists to point you to another miraculous event. Like I think Elijah is taken up to heaven to teach us tonight more about the ascension to glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I wonder, when you compare those things, and when you think about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you see the great parallel? Think about it. What happened before Jesus ascended to glory? Is this not true? That our Lord rehearsed the history of Israel. That that, in essence, was what his whole earthly ministry was about, wasn't it? In fact, do you know your Bibles? If you know your Bibles, then you will know that that is one of the great themes of the Gospel of Matthew. That Jesus rehearsed the history of the people of God. Think about it. Who is Jesus according to Matthew? He is the true Israel of God. And do you know your Bibles well? How does Matthew's Gospel begin? Come on, do you remember it? Think about it, like Israel, Matthew retraces Jesus' lineage back to Abraham. And then in Matthew's Gospel, what happens? Jesus is taken into Egypt, like Israel. Jesus in Matthew's Gospel is called out of Egypt by God the Father. Then what happens? Like Israel in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus is sent into the desert. Into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. I could go on and I could go on. Listen to this quote. 
One writer says that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he repeats the history of Israel. Why? In order to secure for his people the blessings promised to Abraham. Isn't that wonderful? Do you see the purpose behind it all? Before the Lord Jesus ascends to glory, what does he do? He retraces Israel's steps in perfection and sinlessness, all to secure for us the covenant blessings of God. I wonder tonight if you, Christian friend, feel powerless. Do you feel weak? Do you feel hopeless this evening? And yes, of course, we are brought low by sin. But consider what God Almighty has done for his church. Christ Jesus has retraced his people's steps. He's gone before us. He's walked in our steps. And he's done it to secure our salvation. And all before our precious Savior ascends to the right hand of God the Father. We see here the rehearsing of Israel's history. Secondly, though, let's move on in the section. Let's look at the relaying of God's power. The relaying of God's power. Hopefully you're with me tonight. Uh, Hopefully you realize at this point that we've got to Elijah and Elisha have just crossed the Jordan. They've split the Jordan. They've walked into the promised land. What happens next? Well, let's read it together, can we? Would you look at verse 9 and 10? I'll read those. Verse 9 and 10. Let's... Pause and look at that. To the cross. When they had crossed, Elijah says to Elisha, okay, here's the moment. Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Let's deal with that. The idea, what does he ask for? He asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. What does that mean? I I think, uh, honestly, there's a a bit of a danger with this, the double portion thing, that we could get it wrong. I wonder what you think that means. The double portion thing. Um, Do we think that Elisha here is asking Elijah for twice the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit of God that Elijah has? Do we think that's what it is? A double portion twice, it's not that, actually. Please follow this. What is in view is what is said in Deuteronomy chapter 21 about inheritance. So there was the idea in Deuteronomy 21 that the firstborn son, he receives... Colin, close your ears for a moment. The firstborn son receives not just a portion of his father's inheritance... But the firstborn son receives a double portion of his father's inheritance. So do you see? Do you see what it is that Elisha is asking here? He's asking at this critical moment to continue Elijah's work. Like he's not asking twice the power upon me. He's asking to continue in the family footsteps of Elijah. And yeah, surely you can see why he wants this. I mean, think about it. He's seen his master. Think about the stories of kings. I mean, he's seen his master rain down fire from heaven and fight the prophets of Baal. He's just witnessed 
Elijah split the river in half. And he wants some of this. He wants to be continuing this great work for the glory of God. Now, you answer me this. Is this wonderful request granted? Is it? Tell you what, look at verse 13. I love this. Look, because we're getting towards the end of it. Look at verse 13. Now, remember, Elijah's gone now. Elijah's departed at this, this precise moment. And you now have someone else, don't you? You now have Elisha, who's standing on the banks of the Jordan. And now what can he do? He can, he can split the river. He can strike the waters. He can pass on dry land. Do you see what's happening? Do you see the big point? There has been here a transition of power, hasn't there? That the power of the Holy Spirit has moved from one man to another. The power of God moving from one to the other at the ascension. Now again, let's pause. What is it that we're doing in here tonight? Friends, we are comparing this miracle that we love with the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you fix your eyes on the ascension of Jesus just now, do you see surely what is the main lesson in this tonight? Surely it is this, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he ascended, why? In order to, in effect, a transition of power. Isn't that it? Like I'm, I asked you earlier on if you know your Bibles. Can I ask you that again? If you know your Bible well, if you're a Bible scholar, surely you know this, that at nearly every mention of Jesus' ascension in the New Testament, what else is mentioned? What does Jesus say? He says that he is departing in order to transfer the power of God to his church. Now, do you know the verses? What about John 14? Gabriel preached on John 14 not that long ago. Do you remember it? Jesus says to his hurting disciples that he's going and he's departing. Why? What does he tell them in their persecution and their suffering? He says, I'm going so that I can send to you another helper, the spirit of truth. Or what about Luke chapter 24? We know that. You know the road to Emmaus? Isn't that a great chapter? Beautiful chapter of scripture. And Jesus is just about to ascend to glory. And what does he say to the disciples? He says, you stay here. You do not move. You stay here. Stay in Jerusalem. Why? So that you can receive from God the spirits. And then what about the previous reading tonight? In Acts chapter 1, Jesus about to ascend, ascend to glory. What does he say? Twice? What does he say? He says, you stay because I'm going to send you power. You see the point? Like Elijah, the translation to glory, at the ascension to glory, there is this transfer of power from one to the other. That Christ, wait for it, Christ relays his very own spirit to whom? To his family. It is a double portion to us, the church. I think tonight, that should affect you, Christian. I think that that should change your view of us. I think it should change and affect the way that you live. Because I, I think this, listen please, 
that we are losing sight of the potential that we have as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Losing sight of our potential. In fact, try, let me try to explain it by way of an illustration. I wonder if anyone in here has heard of the name Freddy Adu. Has anyone heard of Freddy Adu? Maybe not. I bet some of you have, though. Freddy Adu was a child prodigy. Okay? <laughs> in fact, Freddy Adu was a footballing child prodigy. And he was amazing. I mean, he was almost unbelievably good. The potential that this boy showed, the capabilities. At 14 years old, Nike signed him up on a sponsorship for over a million dollars. He's 14 years old. Then he showed such potential, such gifting, that a huge, big European club came in, signed him up on a long-term contract. Everyone in the footballing world, they knew Freddie Adu. And do you know what they all said? He is the next Pele. Any article written about him, he's the next Pele. And what happened to this guy? He had a couple of bad games. Freddie Adu lost all confidence. And he lost sight of the ability he had. He lost sight of the potential he had. Do you know what he is tonight? Freddie Adu, and I think I'm right in saying this, he plies his trade now in the Finnish second division. That's Freddie Adu. Now we might laugh at that, we might scoff at that, but is that not a parallel with us in here this evening? Is it not true, London City Presbyterian Church, that we have lost sight of our potential in Christ Jesus? Have we not lost sight of the capabilities that we have as a congregation by the Holy Spirit of God? Do you know who we are? We are Elisha. Spiritually speaking, we are standing at the Jordan. Do you know what we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit? We can split the river. We can strike the waters. We can pass through the waters. We have the power of God at our fingertips. I consider it if you're a Christian tonight. That same spirit that enabled the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill his earthly ministry in perfection, in purity, and in power. That same Holy Spirit. Where is he tonight? He is in you. He is with you this evening. That same power of God. Is it not exciting? Is it not exciting for Christian service? And does it not alter your view of the people in this room? Because what do you see when you look around at London City Presbyterian Church? And what do you think of us in here, the people sitting around you? Do you think, they don't look like much? Do you think these are... Not startling people, they're weak and not fantastically glamorous people. Don't you see it, friends? God is here. That these people you're sitting around just now, that God has chosen these people, that God more than that has chosen to take up residence in the people that you are sitting amongst. I am not joking or trying to be funny when I say to you that the people in here are more powerful than Vladimir Putin. The people in here are more powerful than Donald Trump that we can make a difference to London. I believe that. 
as a congregation, we can speak to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Should it be God's will, we can see people converted, one for Jesus Christ. And why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended from this earth, and in so doing, what has happened? He has transferred to you a double portion of his very own spirit. We see a rehearsing of Israel's history. We see a relaying of God's power. And then the last thing we see is a return of the man of God. So this evening, what have we done? Held up two things and compared and contrasted these two ascensions. Haven't we? And what have we noticed? We've seen that there's quite a number of parallels between Elijah's translation and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, when we look at the actual translation of Elijah, what are you struck by? Are you not struck by the dissimilarity between this event and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ? See, look with me at verse 11. How is it that Elijah is transferred to heaven above? Look at the details. Look at it. We're told that all of a sudden, walking together, all of a sudden, what appears? Chariots of fire. Now, chariots of fire. I mean, we're talking about a chariot, a blaze. Look at the next detail. This chariot is pulled by horses of fire. (laughs) Flaming horses. Isn't it marvelous? Immediately, these two men are separated. Immediately before us, we see this chariot ablaze, move up, ascend the skies. It's majestic, right? It's so dramatic. It's kind of difficult even to picture it. Right. And then, Christian friends... You compare that to the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with all reverence, isn't it true that the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ is underwhelming in comparison? I mean, compared to this, isn't the ascension of Jesus low-key? Where are the chariots? I want chariots! I mean, where are the horses, the flaming horses? There's nothing. I mean, there is bar a cloud. There is no vehicle whatsoever. We're simply told time and time again, ah, Jesus uh, is taken up into glory. Do you see the difference? Why such a contrast between the two? Well, I love what an old Scottish divine, an old Scottish historian said about this. And his name's Alexander Stewart. And he, yeah, his ministry was in England, but he was born in Scotland. So I'm claiming him, he's Scottish. And he said this. He said that the translations to heaven, Elijah, the Lord Jesus, they reflected the respective ministries of those two men. I love that. Why was it that Elijah is taken up in such splendor and majesty? Well, doesn't it reflect 
his ministry. I mean, he had one tempestuous ministry between Ahab and slaughtering the puppets of Baal and splitting rivers. That's why. What about the Lord Jesus Christ? A ministry of humiliation. A ministry of pain and anguish and suffering. A life of meekness, gentleness, persecution leading into a death of savagery and a death of shame. That he became even a sacrificial lamb bearing the sins for his people. That is why, surely, that is why there is no pomp and circumstance as the Lord Jesus Christ ascended the skies that day outside Jerusalem. But I think there is one last note that must be sounded before we leave Second Kings 2. Let me ask you this. Is this the last time in the Bible that we hear of Elijah? Is it? Again, I'm asking you about your Bible knowledge. Is it the last time we hear about Elijah? Is it? What are you going to say to me? You're going to say, oh, there's the transfiguration. Okay, good. Is it time in the Old Testament that we hear of Elijah? It's not, is it? Malachi chapter 4. There is a prophecy from God. A prophecy that says, one day... Elijah shall return. What do we know about that prophecy? We know that it was fulfilled by John the Baptist, preparing the way for the Lord. Isn't that right? But do you see the point I'm making? For years, for centuries in Israel, there was expectation, wasn't there? For centuries, the people of Israel, they lived with the understanding that this man who they see now ascending the skies would one day come back, one day return. They're living with that expectation, living with expectancy. And you surely tonight, you see the parallel with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what did we read in Acts chapter 1? What did the angels declare? That one day, this man ascending the skies would return in the same way, i.e. visibly, that the church in the New Testament age should be living with anticipation that the Lord Jesus Christ shall imminently return to this earth. So I end with the obvious question. Tonight, are you living in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth? You, Christian friend, Are you living with that knowledge on a day-to-day basis that Christ is coming back? Are you praying for more of this resurrection power? Are you you seeking to use this resurrection power? Seeking to live for the glory and honor of Christ Jesus? And my non-Christian friend in here, what about you? You're saying to me there's no pomp and circumstances Christ ascends. Oh, yep. But there will be. There will be all pomp and ceremony and circumstance when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. You want chariots of fire. You will see chariots of fire. You will hear angelic hosts. 
and you will see the Son of Man return. I want you to understand this evening that unless in this life you repent of your sin, that day will not go well for you. Unless you bow to the eternal King of kings, that shall be an awful day when Christ returns. Christian friends, let us not lose sight of what we are. Like the church, even us, the church, is the most powerful organization the world has ever known. So let's go and strike the water. Let's part the seas. Let's take people by the hand and lead them across into the promised land. Shall we do it? The power that we have. And let's do so firm in the knowledge that one day the great Elijah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he shall one day return. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the journey you took Elisha and Elijah on for these towns, retracing the steps of the people of God. We thank you that the Lord Jesus Christ has done that for us, that he has walked in our steps, but unlike us, he has done so without sin. We thank you for his great earthly ministry. We thank you for the cross, and today especially, we thank you that he is risen from the dead. Lord, we praise you, and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.